This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good morning. Thank you for giving me the opportunity of sharing God's word with you this morning. So much of Christianity, as you just heard in the song, revolves around the dinner table. One of the most famous psalms in the Bible, Psalm 23, says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And regularly, as we're going to do today, Christians gather together around the Lord's table, where they partake of the body and blood of Christ, together with the bread and wine, for the forgiveness of sins. And you know, Christians world around, especially Lutheran Christians, like to gather around the potluck table. And you guys, wow, you guys take it to another level. (laughs) My son really likes coming to visit you guys. It's like, there's breakfast before church and after church. Thinking, buddy, I'm not sure you're supposed to eat both times, but amazing. And then Christians in their homes throughout the world, especially where I serve, they gather around the table to study the scriptures and to pray together and encourage each other. And then you think about heaven. In Isaiah, we hear this, that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Can't you just picture that lavish spread laid out in the heavenly banquet like an endless buffet together with Jesus and all of his people of all time? The Lord's table invokes all these beautiful visions of of sharing and, and singing and satisfaction. Anything great beyond anything that we could ever enjoy here at the table. So today, as we look at the story of Rahab and the spies, what I want to do is ask a couple of difficult questions about the Christian table. Through this story, see if we can answer three questions in particular. That is, um, is there room for me at the table? And then, is there room next to me at the table? And then, what can I learn at the table? So let's start by reading this account, if you have it on your phones, or it's going to be printed up here, from Joshua chapter 2. This is the account of Rahab and the spies. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. 
Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 6, 22 through 25. I'll just read it up here. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Okay, so first of all, is there room for me at God's table? Even Christians are not immune to this question. Is there room for me at God's table? We know that God has saved us by his grace. We know that through Christ we have been redeemed. And yet, as we live our lives, the shame that builds up over the guilt of our sin the shame that builds up over the sin that is done against us begins to wear, wear us down, drag us down. We think of all those things I should have done and didn't do, just like we confessed before. All those ways that I have failed God and I have failed others and I have failed myself. And somewhere secretly in the back of our minds, we begin to wonder, do I really belong at God's table? Have I done something to disqualify myself from being there? Or is God sort of getting tired of me and so instead of being welcome to the banquet, I'm shoved in the back in the kitchen washing dirty dishes in the form of failure and ongoing shame and grief? I want to ask you a question thinking about Rahab. Did God spare Rahab because he owed her a favor? She was a prostitute she had probably ruined many households and contributed to the breakdown of society through her ungodly occupation. One simple act of kindness shown to a couple of spies is not going to remove a mountain of rebellious rubble. Neither, for that matter, is, I'll tell you this, uh, serving for a few years overseas as a missionary. Uh, nor, actually, in case you're wondering, is decades of, quote-unquote, going to church and yet, this going nowhere nobody was accepted into the family of God. In fact, she is the only woman besides Abraham's wife, Sarah, who is listed 
in the heroes of faith listing in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, it says this about her in Hebrews 11. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. That is an unbelievable sentence. The prostitute was not killed with those who were disobedient. She is treated there as if she were a moral, upright, godly citizen. And then James, in his book, says this, that, he, that she's in the same category as Abraham, the category of a righteous person, something that must have shocked his Jewish readers. A Gentile prostitute welcomed to the table as an equal with Abraham, the father of the Jews. That's pretty astounding. And that's the scandalous nature of God's all-inclusive grace. No matter where you come from, no matter how you have failed, no matter how far away from God you have drifted, God says there is more grace for you at this table and you will always be welcome there. My wife and I a few years ago went on a cruise with some of our favorite people in the world. And one of the best things about the cruise, of course, was the dinner table. They bring you into that big banquet room, you sit down, and they just every night is a new festival of foods, right? One night they had grilled lobster tail. It was absolutely amazing. I was delighted with it. And when the waiter came by, he said, what did you think? I said, it was amazing. Would you like another? You can do that? <laughs> yes. In the book of John, the beginning chapter, we hear that through Christ, we have received grace upon grace already given. Lobster on top of lobster already given. You use up one and they bring another and they said they would have brought more if we wanted it. That's the grace. That's the all-inclusive, unbelievable grace of our God that he has given to you. You are always welcome to the table no matter where you're coming from, no matter what's your background. But that leads us to a second question. Is there room next to me at the table. If you consider the very insular and communal nature of God's people at that time, what these spies did was actually quite unbelievable. Without any approval from their superior officers, these soldiers, and, and you might have noticed they're called young men here, these soldiers decide to let Rahab and her family go free. They didn't treat her as a nuisance as a tool to be used toward their own ends, they treated her as a soul. And it was based on their recommendation that Joshua, the leader of all of God's people, accepted her and her family into the family of God. That's pretty amazing. And here's the thing. Rahab was not tucked away in some corner like an eccentric auntie that nobody knows what to do with. Joshua says that she still lives among God's people to this day. She was welcomed in to the family, and they made a room next to themselves for her. In fact, the book of Ruth tells, her, tells us that a godly man named Salmon married, married Rahab. And then they had a child. His name was Boaz, another godly man who also married an outsider. And so Rahab became the great-great-grandmother of the great King David, one of the greatest of the Jewish kings. And then Matthew tells us in his gospel 
that because of that, she was the ancestor of Jesus, our Savior. So this woman was not only tolerated, she was welcomed into the family, and people made room next to themselves for her at the table and said, you're one of us now. Doesn't matter where you came from, you're one of us. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, after the Vietnam War, a friend of mine and her family were fleeing from Laos to go uh, to a, a refugee camp. It's actually quite an astounding story how it happened. Um, she was the only one in her family who could swim. And they needed to cross a very wide river to get from Laos to the refugee camp. They needed to swim through the night without being noticed. So her family just grabbed onto things that would float and then held onto a rope and she led them. She swam in front of all of them and pulled them, spent the entire night swimming to get across this river. When she got to the refugee camp, a man came into her tent and stole her away in order to marry her, even though she was in love with another man. Apparently, her family did nothing to rescue her. It was considered a cultural thing, and it was okay. They did nothing about it, and so she was forced to marry this man, her abductor. In the United States, she had seven children with this man that she did not love, and when she was pregnant with the eighth, he died suddenly. His family apparently demanded that she marry his relative, which she refused. And as a result, she was shunned and she was treated as an outcast widow in her own family. In fact, it was outcast widow with eight small children in a Midwest town not really known for welcoming outsiders. But thankfully, a Christian couple found her they began to show her Christ's love, and eventually they shared the gospel of Jesus. And so one Sunday it happened in, in, a, in one of our churches that she and all eight of her children were baptized. Boom, 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 boom. She was welcome to the table. But I want to let you in on something here. Nobody really knew what to do with this woman. We didn't know what to do with her. She came from a totally different background. She was a foreign widow with eight children. Nobody understood her culture. When she spoke, her accent was very heavy. It was very difficult to understand her. Her children were incredibly obedient. But inviting them over to your house, I mean, it was eight children. My friend is what some Christians call extra grace required, or EGRs. That is not a godly term, but sometimes in the church it's been used. And maybe you know some EGRs, or people you think are EGRs, right? People who don't seem to listen. Like when you talk, they just talk, 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 but they don't listen. People who seem extra resistant to faith. People who have been a Christian for a while, but they just don't seem to get this whole Christian thing. People who just have these annoying habits that drive you up the wall. Extra grace required, EGRs. The reality is, I'm really the EGR, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I'm, I'm the person that requires extra grace. I'm, I'm so judgmental. I'm so impatient. In fact, it, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of this Puritan prayer, and we put it up on the screen so you could see it. Maybe you need to pray this one with me. Uh, I am so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb, 
I am in the foothills when I should be on the heights. I am pained by my graceless heart, my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and sometimes I can't find any room next to me at that table. I should know so much better. I need extra grace, extra grace to make room next to me at the table. And and it leads me to one more thing. Uh, The last question we'll ask today, is is there something I can learn at the table? Um. Rahab exhibits astonishing faith and grace, even though she had only been a God follower, maybe for days, weeks, I don't know. Uh, first of all, for her whole life, this woman had been steep, steeped in paganism. And yet she says this, uh, this is what she confessed, the Lord your God is God in heaven above, and on the earth below. That's actually quite astonishing. Uh, the people at that time really believed in what in local deities. So you believe that there was a God of the hills and there was a God of the plains and so forth. So what she's confessing here is totally different. She's not saying, yeah, I believe that your God is one of the God and the gaudy deistic panoply or whatever. She's saying, I believe that your God is the only God. He is the God of the whole universe. And I want to follow him. And then she also said this, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Now, for those of you who have been in church a long time, went to Sunday school and so forth, you might remember a story that happened 40 years before this. Moses sent 12 men to go and spy out this land that Rahab lives in. These men, these 12 men, had just seen God send 10 horrible plagues upon the people of Egypt to deliver the Israelites. They had just seen God open up the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground and let it come back together and smash their enemies. So they went in to spy out the land of Canaan, and they came back with this report. The walls are thick. The walls are high. The people are giants. They're going to crush us. Here's Rahab. Look at her background. Paganism. And she says, no, I know. The Lord's given you this land. This spiritual infant had more faith than men who had seen these amazing, amazing miracles. Besides that, she risked her life for a couple of foreigners she didn't barely know. She put her life in danger when she told her family about the plan because they could have turned her in for conspiracy. And through her words, she even encourages Joshua and the spies. When I was thinking about this, uh, a passage came to my mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Rahab was... She was less than a nobody among the people of faith, and yet she became this great example to them and a great example to us. You know, we longtime Christians, there's, I know there's some of you in here, uh, we often think of ourselves as the mature ones. We think of those who can actually help out other people and, and, and be a blessing to them, especially the new Christians. And we certainly can. 
But sometimes when we think about these things, think about reaching out to others, we begin to think about the problems. We begin to think about, well, there might be some difficulties if I share my faith with somebody else or if I invite them to church. So, for example, what if I tell my friend about Jesus and she asks me a bunch of questions that I don't have answers to? What am I going to do then? I'll look kind of stupid and foolish. What if I invite my gay friend to church and then he introduces himself to the pastor and talks about his boyfriend? What if I invite my friend to church, and this actually happened to somebody I know, I invite my friend to church, and during the sermon, he raises his hand, he goes, uh, 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 Mr. Speaker guy, uh, I have a question. What am I going to do if I invite my friend to church, and all of our kids are completely out of control, and everyone's turning around and looking at them because they're being a disruption in the service? What am I going to do? But let's turn it around. Have we ever considered that reaching out to other people might not just be for their benefit, but, all, but for ours. Maybe our kids need to see different kinds of people so that they can learn compassion and true godly acceptance. Maybe some of us, it's been a while, maybe too long since we saw somebody with a Rahab-like background really understand the gospel and get really excited about it and remind us what it's like to be snatched from the the grasp of hopelessness. Maybe some new people could bring some new ideas and new energy to the table. We've never done it that way, but maybe that's a good way to do it. I always think that, this is actually true of every call that I've served in, but uh, just currently, I, I think that God has placed me in East Asia because he wants me to help the local believers there. What I don't often think about is maybe God put me in East Asia because he wants to teach me something and wants to grow me in some way. So I have this privilege of mentoring all of these pastors in in the country where I serve. Most of them have not been Christians longer than 10 years. They don't make very much money. A lot of their family thinks that the career they have picked is one of the stupidest things they've ever heard of and refuse to support. And the government wants to see them shut down. Just a couple of weeks ago when we had left, some of these sorts of Christian leaders had been, in, had been jailed. They had been in jail for the whole week uh, simply for having a children's camp where they talked about Jesus. I think, I'm there to help them. I'm going to encourage them. But this last year was the hardest year that we had there. And in June, I had a meeting with one of those pastors, and we ended this way after all of my, I'm sure, great encouragement to him. Uh, We ended the meeting, and he said, you know what? I know that this has been a really difficult time for you and your wife, and I want you to know that my wife and I pray for you every single day. And I had to try to wipe away my tears and pretend that I wasn't crying or whatever. When we think about reaching out to others, you know, we think globally, right? We think, uh, oh, those poor people in Africa, they have so many difficulties. We think those poor people in China or wherever, you know, they live under communist governments and they don't even have Facebook. My goodness, what do they do? We think about the people in our community and we're like, oh, they're so broken. And I see these people in, you know, in Meyer or Walmart and it's just the people are so broken. It's, it's so terrible. What are we going to do? They need us. They really do. But, but to be honest, we need them. 
They need us to share with them the, the message of Jesus Christ. But we also need them for the renewal of our faith to help us keep growing. So today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you as, as a church and in, as, as individuals to keep reaching out as you're doing, maybe even more, not just because other people need it, but because you do, because I do. This, this is actually the way God works. He works in these totally unexpected ways. I mean, just consider the way that Christ entered into this world. He's the unexpected child of a single teenage mom. I mean, just think about the, the knowing judgmental looks that the people in that little town of Nazareth must have given to Mary and Joseph as they walked down the street and they saw Mary's little baby bump. And then he was born, a backwoods town raised by poor parents. He grew up and he hung out with outcasts and nobodies. He had special attention. Think about this. The descendant of Rahab gave special attention to prostitutes and outcasts. And then they hung him naked on a highway in sight of everybody so that people could walk by and say, so this is what happens to losers, to nobodies, to descendants of people like Rahab. But three days later, he came back. He rose from the dead and he broke down the wall that separated us from a holy God and said, welcome to the table. This man, this nobody, this descendant of prostitutes and foreigners and outcasts and faithless kings and failures and murderers and liars and cheats saved them all so that you could be welcome to the table. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your amazing grace, grace upon grace. Thanks for welcoming us to your table. There are probably brothers and sisters in here who, for various reasons, are wondering if they really belong here. I'm not talking about church as much as, as belonging in the family of God. Reassure them today that they really do because of your unfailing love, your unending grace. And there are those of us here who've been Christian for a while that we really struggle sometimes to make room next to us at the table for those that we feel need an extra amount of grace. But Lord, we're the ones that need grace. So give us forgiveness and grace um, to love the way that you have loved us. And Lord, keep our eyes open and ready as we sit at the table and we rejoice in your grace to learn from those around us, to learn how to love them the way that you love us, um, to show them kindness, to learn from them uh, things that maybe we've never thought of. Thank you for welcoming us to the table, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.